Welcome back to the Content Lab, the podcast for all things content marketing. And I'm John Becker, Revenue and Features Editor here at Impact. I am joined, as always, by Liz Moorhead, Editor-in-Chief. And welcome back, Liz. I know. Welcome back. We both haven't been here. I like how you're I like how you're introing this as if you're sitting on the couch and there's a pot roast that's like cold on the kitchen table. Welcome back, Liz. It's not like I had slaved all day in the kitchen. Oh wait, I did. Yeah, but we're walking into the lab today and it, metaphorically and it's like covered with cobwebs. It's uh, you know, nothing works anymore. There's like a family of mice that's moved in. We haven't done this in a while, neither of us. So I am so psyched to be back here with you today recording. Me too, because I think if we had stayed away any longer, 100% those mice probably would have been able to like claim squatters rights next week. So they would be recording the show by now. We are back. How are you, John? How have you been? Uh, I'm pretty good. I'll tell you what happened right before I started recording this. So it's it's extremely hot in, in Connecticut. It's this very like early summer heat wave. And so I was going to set up a, I know you don't like the heat. I was going to set up a, a sprinkler outside on the lawn. And it was like this classic thing where I was like, I turned on the water, but the sprinkler wasn't working. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll just go take a closer look and try to figure out what what could possibly be wrong with this sprinkler. Sure enough, bam, just, you know, all over me, my glasses, my, you know, clothing, like everything. Oh, no. It was really funny. If, if, if anyone saw, if any of the neighbors saw it, I think they should have laughed. Um, so that just happened like five minutes ago. That's, I don't know, maybe a metaphor for how I'm doing. Pretty good, but things that are unexpe- unexpected sometimes happen. Wow. Um, I don't have any interesting stories about what happened um, five minutes ago, other than the fact that I'm in the middle of moving and I made myself some soup, but had already moved the spoons to my new place. So I have no spoons for my soup. Um, so there's that we're winning today. We're doing great. Um, I look forward to just staring at that cup of soup for a while now. Uh, other than that, I'm trying to think if I have anything interesting to add to the conversation. <gasps> yes, I do. Okay. So Not many people know this. People know of my love for The Godfather. They know of my love for Fast and Furious and all those things. But one of my favorite actors of all time, I consider him probably to be one of the most underrated actors, is Joe Pesci. I love him so much. I cannot quantify how much I love him. And yesterday, I found out two of the craziest facts that are going to completely blow your mind, John. Unless you read the issue of the latest, in which case you already know what these are. But if you haven't read it, you haven't read it? Lay it on me. Yes. Okay. The latest, by the way, is our email newsletter that goes out three times a week. I write it. It's awesome in case you were wondering what I was talking about. All right. right. So before he became an actor, before he was like, you think I'm funny like a clown? Like before all of that, in the 1960s, he was in a house band called Joey D and the Starlighters with none other than Jimi Hendrix. They were in the same band. Wow. Then after that, he released his own album called Little Joe Sure Can Sing. And I found it on YouTube last night and I listened to it and it's amazing. You, no one else is going to be able to see what I'm about to show you, John, but in order for at least the audience to get a feel for how hilarious this is, please give me one moment. I am sharing with John right now a visual 
of the cover of that album. Okay, that a, like it, black turtleneck, high contrast lighting. Very beatnik. Yeah, yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. Little, little Joe sure can sing. And with a title like that, can there be any doubt? There really, really can't be. And uh, honestly, I was surprised. It was amazing. So my sprinkler didn't explode, but I have a spoonless soup and uh, Joe Pesci's debut album to share with you today. At one point, I went down a weird YouTube rabbit hole where I watched a lot of Oscar acceptance speeches, which sounds a little bit weird, maybe more weird than I would think. I don't know. You like to see people win things and see how they uh, present themselves, which is interesting. So one thing I know about Joe Pesci is when he won Best Supporting Actor, which I think was for Goodfellas, um, yes. his speech was just, thank you. Yeah. In fact, he is one of the shortest speech in, uh, speeches in Oscar history. And he literally just went, Thank you. This means so much, and walked off the stage. Okay, so maybe that was it. All and right, that was so, so you, didn't think you he acted was like win. I was very weird, and and now no, that's, you know he that's what he said later. Yeah. Okay. I didn't think it was weird. Are you kidding me? I'm a complete movie nerd. All right. I think enough. it's amazing. No, so I've heard about that. He he said later he was asked why was your acceptance speech so short because you're absolutely right. He walked up there. It was very hard. He's like. Thank you. Thank you so much. And then he just walked off stage and it was really awkward. And then later he's like, I didn't expect to win. So I didn't prepare anything because I think he was up against a lot of people that year. Like yeah. that was an intense, intense category. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, which is exactly well, why we're here today. Welcome to Content yeah. Lab and its new iteration, <laughs> the Joe Pesci Appreciation Hour. Hi, Joe Pesci. Yes. I love you. Uh, so what we're actually talking about today, in addition to Joe Pesci, is um, is is video content. So we we obviously focus primarily on on written content here. We talk a lot about um, content creation, um, brainstorming, SEO, lots of stuff like that. Uh, but content has uh, has a twin. Written content has a twin, and that's video content. And it's something that you've done a lot of, Liz, and I've done a little bit. I'm doing more more and more of it now, uh, and I think it requires a totally different um, skill set, a different process, um, and, and lots of things like that. And obviously, video production inherently is, or I shouldn't say inherently, but in almost all cases, it involves more people. And you know, the, the content creation process can be kind of a, a, a one-man show, so to speak, where you take something, uh, brainstorm it, plan it, write it, publish it, promote it. Um, but with video content, we're talking about, about scripting, filming, editing, talent, um, et cetera. So that's what we want to dive into today. Obviously, it's a huge topic uh, and we can only scratch the surface, but the surface we will scratch. So Liz, what do you think about that? I'm down. Let's do okay. it. <laughs> I'm ready. Let's talk video. Talk, so, so you can you break down for us at Impact? the different sort of avenues or realms that we do video content for. Yes, and I wanna start this conversation from this perspective. When people think of the word content, they immediately think of, oh, it's written content. And I, and I will admit about four to five years ago when I was, I wasn't just getting my start as a content manager, but I've been in the game for a little while. Like I, I, I'm a content manager, right? I run the blog. And in today's, digital age. I always think it's funny when people are like in the digital age, it's like, it's been digital for, for a while now. Um, 
now that computers are here, now that we're on YouTube and TikTok and Facebook videos and Instagram videos and reels and everything all the time, like visual, 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 we need to stop immediately kicking with our reflex of content. Oh, it's written. So when we say the word content, I want people to start being agnostic to the medium because that's really important for how this conversation works. Because if we, if we, we break it down in terms of whether you're calling it inbound marketing or content marketing, or they ask you answer, all you're doing is taking all of the questions that your customers or ideal buyers have, and then answering them in blog articles, in videos, in whatever. And your goal is to figure out what medium is best suited to that answer. And sometimes it's more than one. So I just want us to start really flexing the muscle of being agile in terms of how we think about what content is. Um, I know that was not answering your question, John, and I just literally answered the question that I wanted to answer, but I really wanted to start the conversation there because I think that's really important. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And, and I, I want to I dive into that a little bit further because I, I love the idea of being uh, medium agnostic when we think about content. But I think for many mm -hmm. content, you know, content people, content managers, content writers, et cetera, um, there's, there can be a bit of an intimidation factor around video because oh, yeah. there's a higher, higher barrier to entry. There's, you know, there's equipment involved, there's editing involved. There's, there's things that might feel less mom and pop-ish. Um, and so as you've kind of pivoted or, or expanded the work that you do, um, how did you kind of get into video and um, was that an issue for you, the feeling like it, it, there was like a, a barrier to entry? By force, I was, I was, I was asked to take on video by force. Um, so for those of you sitting there going, but Liz, you know, you're on video, you do video a lot, you know, I, I'm not like you, blah, blah, blah. Um, I didn't want to do it. Let me just be very clear. I never wanted to do this. I'm very happy that I do it now. I'm very happy with my job. I love doing video. I'm a total convert, but I want to be very clear that the way I entered this is because I was told to. Um, there, I, I know that there is, you know, a lot of stories of like, oh, I saw the light of video and, and I just started doing it and I found it myself and I'm doing great. It's like, no, I saw the value of di doing video and I was like, someone else can do that. I don't have to do that. I'm a written content manager. I'm a writer, I'm an editor. Like I'm not, I, I still don't know how to edit a video to this day, which is problematic, but that's fine. Um, so here's, here's how it happened. Um, and this is, I think, true of anything. You're going to avoid doing the things you don't want to do until you have to do them. The question is, are you listening to this podcast right now going, I'm still not 100% sold on video? Then your problem isn't knowing the how of doing video. It's you still haven't made the decision of whether or not you see value in it enough to try because you're not going to actually do it well unless you get it, unless you fully commit to it and accept that just like, God, I hate when people lean on like, you're not gonna get that beach body unless you put down the cheesecake and pick up an apple. Like, it, like I hate that, that freaking uh, analogy, but it's true. Like you can't suddenly expect to start producing content and a completely different medium that's new to you if you aren't ready to change some habits, potentially bring on some new people, whether that's, freelancers or things like that are just getting scrappy. Um, but the answer to how I did it was, it, so it was kind of great irony. Um, the, earlier this week, I celebrated my four year anniversary at Impact. Um, 
Bob Ruffalo, our CEO, hired me through a merger. He was like, I don't understand half the things you're saying. I'm not 100% what it is, what you do, because I was a content manager at a small agency and our agency was structured differently. He was like, I want you here. So in one of the first meetings I had, um, he said, you're going to be overseeing video and growing our YouTube channel. I'm like, what? I've literally never, I don't YouTube. Um, that ended up not working out. I still ended up staying niche in writing. And then about a year and a half ago, as my role expanded in uh, right before the pandemic, I was our editorial director at the time before I became editor in chief. Um, Bob came back and said, so you know that there's another type of content called video and we're going to do it. <laughs> Um, and you remember this, you were there because this was when we were, you know, we teach a business philosophy called they ask you answer and they ask you answer. If you want to distill it really quickly is just, it's an approach to inbound marketing that actually works. A lot of times, you know, people get into inbound marketing. They're like, I'm just going to create content about whatever I want. And it like, doesn't work. And they ask you answer basically helps you write and film and create the content that actually answers your buyer's questions thoroughly and honestly. So you drive traffic leads and sales, et cetera, et cetera. More like, well, we're teaching people how to do these things, but we're not living our best example of it. And a big piece of that was we were just completely dropping the ball on video. So prior to the pandemic, it was given back to me. We have a video guy here named Alex, who is absolutely fantastic. And we have a bunch of people at the office who are just fantastic on camera. I'm like, great, I can delegate and not be involved. And then the pandemic hit. And I was a cat lady living alone. And Alex was only in a bubble with his wife. And so for six to seven months last year, no delegating, nothing else. I had to be the face of our video of our whole thing. And it was awful at first. Some of my videos are just like, I really have a lot of fun now. Like I'm very much myself on camera now, but there is one floating out there about like the benefits of working with a HubSpot partner agency. It's like, hi, I am Elizabeth Moorhead with Impact. Have you ever considered working with a HubSpot agency? Like it's bad. So how did I get into it? Under duress and by force and <laughs> during a pandemic. But, but I share that story because I think it's important you make the choice to do it or you don't. It, uh, Seth Godin has this great quote about blogging and it was back when it was just like business blogging. That's what really people were talking about. He's like, you can't wake up every day and make the decision about whether or not you're gonna blog. You make the decision once that you're gonna blog and then you just decide every day what you're writing about. And there's a difference. And it's the same thing with video. You don't make the decision every single day about whether or not video marketing is worth it. Can you do it, whatever. You make the decision that you're gonna do it once and you're gonna do it to the best of your ability. And then every day you meet the new challenge. Like, oh, I don't have video editing help. Go to Fiverr, get a video editor, then decide if it works, then hire a videographer. I don't have the right equipment. Find a window with natural light, get a tripod for your iPhone, work it out. Like the, there, yeah. there are a thousand reasons not to do video and bottom line, people are usually just afraid to do it. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I think the pandemic, which you mentioned has been a great, reminder that like that threshold of quality is is lower than people might think you know like you you might think oh, you yeah. need this this fancy camera this this um you know expensive audio setup etc and obviously those things will help but i think we're now so used to zoom we're so used to doing things you know just like on a webcam 
right now we're recording this on Zoom with our computer microphones. So, you know, it's not mm -hmm. perfect, but it's it's pretty good and it's good enough. And I think anyone who's listening to this show and, and gets value out of it is not going to be like, Psh, listen to that audio quality. That, that there's no value here. Like like if if we're as you said with they ask you answer, our focus is on our buyer and providing value to them and. That's not talking about production value. Yes, those things are are you want something to to look clean and to and to be clear and to be helpful. Um, but I, I agree with you. Thinking that you need to drop ten grand on a studio setup is an excuse, not a, an actual impediment. Look, if fifteen-year-old TikTokers with like a twenty-five dollar a week allowance can get a ring light and like make great great videos on their phone like you can do it too i know i just said like 15 times but seriously the barrier to entry is self-imposed yeah and I, I i'm always curious as to whether or not people it's two things there are those who struggle with whether or not it's worth the value it's worth the investment because it's not just a, an equipment investment it is time like you can't just film a video once like an about us company video uh one of the most useless videos of all time by the way doesn't help Ever, never works um they don't you can't just make one video and put it on a shelf like a trophy and point to it and be like but i do video i did it once see like it's a recurring thing and so i think there's that fear there's that i haven't made the commitment to do that and then there are others where they say well i want to do video for business but i don't want to be the one doing it um Look, I am a six foot tall, not a small woman. I I learned how to use eyeliner at 32 and it was a very violent experience. <laughs> um, like I, I used to joke that I have a face for radio. Like I'm not someone who just showed up and somebody's like, that woman should be on camera. But you get over yourself. You just got to start being yourself and putting yourself out there. It's not like your ideal buyers are never going to see you. You're just afraid yeah, to yeah. see yourself on camera. Now, is it still to this day a humbling experience? I put that in quotation marks about <laughs> picking my own thumbnails and having to review my own videos. A hundred percent. John, you never told me my face was so expressive and elastic and horrifying. Like it is, it's so bad. Joe Rinaldi, who's one of our graphic designers, he was doing all of the thumbnails for our Impact Plus courses. We do online digital sales and marketing courses. Uh, at impactplus.com. And for mine that just came out about how to hire a content manager, he's like, it is really hard finding one of you just smiling. So we landed on, again, no one can see this, John, but this is the face we ended up with. Okay. Sort of because it was the only one we could find. It was the only yeah. one we could find where I wasn't like some version of like pooping. Like it was really bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like it looks you. great when you watch it, but you know. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 I know. Um, so it feels like a, a, a natural sort of first step into video. And, and we've talked about this on the show before is like you have an, a topic that you want to cover in an article or in a blog post and you also make it as a video. And that that feels pretty sort of self-explanatory. Self it feels like the, they're sort of training wheels there. You take the article text and you kind of strip it down and you make it a little bit more breezy and you turn it into a script and you can use that video within the article. You can obviously post mm -hmm. it yourself or share it to, to social or, or things like that. Um, but I want to come back to my, oh, go ahead. Oh, and as a sidebar, by the way, guys, we actually did an episode a long time ago. If you go back in the archives, 
about adapting blog articles into video scripts that teaches you how to do that. Continue. We did indeed. Um, but I want to come back to my original question, which is, that's not the only video that we, we do. We also do, um, like you said, we do courses, we do um, promotion stuff, we do events where we're recording talks, we're recording, um, you know, we do webinars, we do like lots of like quote unquote video content. Um, how do we, how do you as editor, how do you as writer, how do you as talent, how do you as, uh, you know, someone who oversees all of this, how do you approach all of those? So to do something like, how, how is it different? I think making an article into a video feels like the most straightforward, the kind of the most easy, as we said, we've covered it on the show before. What about doing a, a webinar? What about doing a, a course? What about doing a, a talk? These other ways that we're doing video content. So if you're just getting started with video and you're hearing all these different things and you're like, man, I wish we were doing courses, man. I wish we were doing webinars. Oh my God. It'd be great if we did virtual events with on-demand video. Oh my gosh. It'd be amazing if we did funny skit videos to introduce our events. And you need to stop right there immediately. So uh, we did not come into this world, or at least I did not as our editor in chief immediately saying, okay, we have this multi-layered strategy. We are starting from zero and tomorrow we're going to have courses. Tomorrow we're going to have this. Tomorrow we're going to have that. No, 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 no. You start with the basics. You start with the basics. And as if for longtime listeners, first time callers to this program have heard us talk about before, you start by talking to your sales team. And when you're brainstorming with them, ideas about the content that you should be creating, like, oh, we should have an article about how much it costs to actually design a website in 2021. Awesome. Should that be a written article, a video, or both? Oh, you know what? It'd be great if it was both. Congratulations. This is the start of your video strategy. Do you have product and service pages on your website that do not have a video explaining 80% of the questions that people have about your product or service? You make a big list and you start working through those. You don't get to start playing around with the other stuff until you nail the basics. Video is meant to drive revenue. And the minute you try to, you like try to sprint from the starting, like you can't sprint at a marathon, right? You got to pace yourself. You have to start with the things that work and actually drive money. Only then can you start experimenting and expanding. It also gives you the ability to test your own market and see what people react to. Like, for example, we had a very interesting experience when we were at the very beginning of this. We were just doing employee bio videos, which is one of something what we call the selling seven. So the selling seven are the seven types of sales and marketing videos that are guaranteed to drive traffic leads and sales. They'd include landing page videos, which explain like, hey, when you give us your information on this form, this is what you get and we won't spam you. You're welcome. It increases conversion on pages like up to 80%. It's wild. 80% videos, product and service page videos, employee bio videos, customer journey videos, all of those are really good ones. We had an experience where I was doing a video that was requested by the sales team based on a piece of content. It was like, what does impact do or something like that? And I thought that our ideal buyers and our sales team would prefer if I played it a little straight. 
You know, I didn't get a little bit, I didn't get too wild. I didn't, you know, go off on riffs about Joe Pesci. I didn't get too silly or anything. I just, I played it straight. I was professional Liz and they hated it. They absolutely hated it. And they're like, please never, never do that again. Just be yourself. It's totally fine. And so the reason I share that story is number one, if you've ever seen any of my videos, you know, I'm very goofy. So this isn't like, oh, you know, being myself meant I wore blue instead of like orange or something like that. Um, I share that because in those initial stages, you're going to get comfortable with what the best practices of video are. You're going to be focusing on the videos that will help you close more deals faster immediately. And you will start to understand what it is that your audience actually wants and what your sales team actually needs from you. Because your assumptions in a lot of, in a lot of ways will be wrong. So you don't go to market with a multi-layered strategy. You start by talking to your sales team about what they need and also start chipping away at those selling seven videos. Those are the videos that are going to make you money. You can't do the other stuff until you do that. Yeah, I love it. Do you feel that, you know, that, that kind of like barrier to entry, um, you know, like the technological level, the, the, the quality control level, that feels less of an impediment with something like YouTube, because like you said, we're the TikTok generation where people just can upload content from their phones, et cetera. Um, it doesn't really matter. But if you're doing something like a service page video, something that's gonna live on your website, do you think the same rules apply? Or is that a place for splurging for higher production values? Like if you can film a, a little kind of quick tip or expert insight or something like that on your iPhone, can you also film the you know, this is our, these are our services. This, these are our team members. You can, can you film that that way as well? I mean, I've seen plenty of great service videos and website videos that there's one from river pools and spas with Christian, who's literally holding his iPhone. You can see that he's holding his iPhone, but it's a beautiful sunny day. So the light is really, really bright and vivid and gorgeous. He's walking around by pools going, so here's what's going to happen when you contact us. And it has great music in the back background and it's totally powerful and it works. Now, the reason why that works for him is, you know, he's showing where he is. He's an, he's a boots on the ground guy with the job. Like it's expected. You see that you, yeah. I've also seen great service videos where if I actually look at it closely enough, Oh, somebody just has a good little lavalier mic. They've pro I don't know whether they have an iPhone or a DSLR on a tripod. They found a blank wall somewhere in, in their house. They've got some solid lighting. And they're just talking at their camera. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. I think people need to realize that like you can kind of spoof some of those really nice setups. Yeah. You can also get green screens. Like right now, um, our director of video production, Alex Winter, he actually has moved out of his house while they're doing some like massive renovations to it. And so he's currently with his in-laws in Westerly, Rhode Island, but we're still having to do video filming and I can't always be there. And he can't always drive from Rhode Island to New Haven to film. So he got a green screen and has superimposed the backdrop of our office into his filming. And you can't tell the difference. You can also buy cheap backdrops. Like you can, again, this is about like, are you committing to doing it or not? You can yeah. just get scrappy and do it. It's kind of like saying, well, like, I want to get a car, but I can't afford an Alfa Romeo or a Tesla. It's like, okay, then buy the Ford. It's still a car. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, 
you don't have to immediately go top of the line in order to get top of the line results. Yeah. The things that you need to be committed to doing is making sure that you get a mic. Lavalier mics, mics are pretty cheap. Um, you know, making sure you understand how to use it, getting a solid camera and lighting. Lighting can solve for a lot. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Good advice. Um, so anything closing you want to share with our audience who might be, like we're saying, kind of maybe a little bit intimidated, maybe a little bit um, feeling like this is beyond their comfort level. Video content, as you said, has to be part of a content strategy here in 2021. So what do you say to those people who might still be on the sidelines? If you're not gonna do it, there's a good chance if they aren't already, your competitors will. Video isn't so much a, oh, am I getting whole milk in my, in my coffee today? Or am I getting skim or oat milk to be, to be, you know, good. Y you have to do it. Video is a way that we communicate now. And I don't care if we're able to handshake again. Like, it's never going away. It is one of the fastest ways to build trust in any business because it is the closest you can get to a human human connection action before someone actually meets you. Yeah. You know, if you think about, it, I don't know how many businesses out there have ever heard, like when it came down to between them and a competitor, and then eventually somebody says, you know what, it was just a better culture fit with the other thing. What they're really saying is they like the other competitor better, which means somehow the competitor got them to like them first. Right. And the quickest way to accelerate that liking process is for them to see you, to hear you, to create that moment where it's like, oh, I like them. They're like me. Or, wow, we're like shared values. You know, all of those little things. Things that cannot always be accomplished with the written word. And I say that as someone who is a writer. The power of words will never be denied. But video, the accelerating power of video to forge those connections with your ideal buyers is, is not something a word can accomplish. You have to make the choice to do it. And then like Seth Goen says, you can't make a decision every morning. Like, am I still doing video? No, You're, you do it. You sit down with your sales team. You don't just come up with one video idea. You come up with multiple and you keep creating them and you just keep getting better and better. If you don't have the budget right now to bring in a videographer, then get the best equipment you have and then get, get on Fiverr, find a freelancer on Upwork who can help you with video editing. Like this is something where if you want this badly enough, you will find the solutions. We live in a video first world. This is not hard the way it was five to 10 years ago, but you're either doing it or you're not. It's doable though. And it's really fun. And I have to say, even though I was pressured and it was under duress, uh, it, it's one of the best things that has ever happened to me. Um, I've been, I've been able to become a better communicator. I've gotten better at being able to answer questions more concisely as this podcast probably has not evidenced, but I promise, um, it, 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 I am capable just sometimes by choice. I don't, um, it's going to make you a better content creator. It's going to make you a better communicator and bottom line at the end of the day, it's going to help you get better results for your company, but only if you're making the right videos. No more lame about us videos that live on your about page, the most unvisited page on your website.
So Liz, I'm going to keep you on the hot seat for a minute longer. Fine. Can you, uh, can you, so this is the learning corner where we teach something to our audience, some tips, some trick. Uh, what do you have for us today? What, what do you want to teach us? So I'm going to teach you a simple trick to make your writing more powerful and effective. So I know we spent a lot of time talking about uh, video content today, uh, but I want to teach you a trick that will make your writing more powerful. So there are certain crutch phrases that we all tend to lean into when we're writing because we don't want to sound like bossy boss a-holes uh, when we're making suggestions for what we think our ideal buyer should do. Uh, like, for example, you know, you should file your taxes on time if, if you don't want to, like, get penalties or go to jail for, for reasons having to do with taxes. But you could end up writing something like, if you don't want to go to jail for tax fraud, you may want to consider trying to file your taxes on time, et cetera, et cetera. So phrases like making sure, trying to, sometimes the delightful combo when you get both of those, take them out. So whenever you write a draft, I want you to go through and reread it. And whenever you see things where essentially you are padding your suggestions, your advice with those types of buffer phrases, take them out. Now, you may want to consider trying to file your taxes on time, Instead, what may be more powerful and succinct is if you want to avoid going to jail for tax fraud, file your taxes on time and honestly. It's a very simple trick, but it's very helpful. You will be surprised the first time you start reading through your stuff, how often you do it. And it's one of those things that you and I have talked about in the past where passivity and adding in superfluous words, um, is something that makes us feel like we're sounding more professional. But we'll, all it does is undermines the power of what we're trying to say. So go through and whether it's those phrases or something else, just like get your little virtual pickaxe and start smashing away. I remember being in a meeting one time with a, with a former boss um, and talking about some like responsibilities and some role growth and, um, and him saying something like, you know, that, that is something that we are getting ready to begin having a conversation around, you know, and it was like such a fluffy BS answer where like, you could just say no, or you can say not now, or you can say yes, but to that, 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 that kind of like verbal stumble of, I don't want to be direct in any way. So I'm just going to kind of like pad these words that mean nothing into my answer so that, you know, there's like, I don't know. Well, the worst I don't know part to, is, I don't is that. Broach it. Like the worst part is, is that like your ideal buyers, whether they're listening to you in a conversation or they're reading those words, they are going to mentally strip them out to figure out yeah. what the hell it is you were trying to say. I was talking to a workaholic friend of mine earlier today and she's like, my goal for today is I'm going to try to make sure that I make the time to eat lunch. I'm like, so let's try that again. I will eat lunch today. Eat lunch, like, yeah. like just get all the crap out of there and your writing will become immediately more persuasive and powerful. Love it. All right, John, I know you're going to hit me with some sort of, I was actually really glad I wasn't the reading corner this week because a hundred percent I've just been tearing through James Patterson, like trashy murder mystery novels. So I have nothing good to add to the conversation this week. Well, so this is where we talk about things that we're reading right now. And, mm -hmm. um, I was going to talk about business books. I feel like I'm reading a lot of business business books now. We've started this program at Impact where it's, uh, I think what's, it's called Better Better Book Club, I think, uh -huh. is that what it is? Uh -huh. um, 
where you could read books and you know talk about them and share them with uh, with other people. So I read this book, I just finished it, that I've kind of heard of for a while and, and, um, and had never read called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, um, which I thought was pretty good. Here's my beef with, and, and so it goes through this like, uh, it, it's like a, I think they call it like a, a fable or something. So that's a little bit annoying because it's not an actual story. It's like a novel sort of where like they bring in this new CEO and she's like helping shape up this tech company, but none of it's real and none of the people are real. So it feels a little bit idealized and, and therefore less, um, you know, less useful. But there were good points in it about how teams work together and how consensus is made and how important conflict is in order to get um, the best discussions, the best decisions, the most buy-in, et cetera. Um, so I'll give it, I don't know, like I'll give it like a three out of five stars. But here's my, here's my beef about business books. And Liz, I'm sure you've seen this too. Like, I, I feel like it's just taken for granted that every business book nowadays is going to talk about a company in Silicon Valley. It feels like everything is like, well, my time at Google or my time at Apple or like, like blah, 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 blah. And I think what we're learning is like, yes, those companies are, are enviable industry leaders, blah, 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 blah. But I think they're also increasingly in the, in the news for bad press around like company culture and mm -hmm. like sexism and like lack of diversity and like squashing um, dissent and different, different ideas. So like, I always am like a little bit suspicious when I open a book and it's like, our setting is Silicon Valley. Um, or like, let me take you through the, you know, through the office park at Facebook. Um, because <laughs> like, that's not always the paragon of like the most healthy company. And, and like when we're pointing out these supposedly brilliant and yes, brilliant, but like supposedly visionary leaders, they're often, um, you know, people are burning out because they're like workaholics and there's like a, the worst culture possible. So that's my beef with, with modern business books. Let's try to like tell a story of somewhere, someone somewhere else who's doing something interesting that's people focused and not just about like making their CEO a billionaire. I mean, let's be realistic. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into it. I'm sure you heard about uh, Basecamp. Yep. What happened there? And for those who are not familiar, all you have to do is like go to theverge.com or Google Basecamp losing a third of their staff uh, to find out what I'm talking about, because that is another example. They're known for great books on internal communication and they're the project management software. And they just completely imploded. What was it last month? Yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. Um, and that, that's another example of it. Maybe we should just have, and, and I say this with a, with a lot of awesome guys and white guys in my life, maybe we just should have like fewer white dudes talking about how awesome they are in books. Maybe. I don't want to yeah. paint a broad brush because some of them are great. But I, I, I agree with what you're saying. There's, there's this weird track record that's starting to emerge that makes yeah. me very uncomfortable. Okay. It's like whenever, it kind of reminds me when I used to go to marketing conferences, you know, back in the day when you could see people. Um, and there would always be these sessions of like, learn how we made a million dollars in revenue from one email. And it's like, I don't buy this. Yeah. 
Now, granted, I've 100% written articles where it's like, learn how this one article made, you know, 6 million in revenue. And it's usually over a long period of time though, and that's true. But whenever you see those Cinderella stories where it's like, look at how perfect we are and just like how great we are, you know, educate, really great educators. And we see this in content, we see it in books are those who are willing to be open and honest about failures, um, to bring people along with them on their education journey. And I found that those books that we're talking about tend to break those rules. Like Marcus Sheridan, yeah, he's a white guy and he wrote a book and it's a business book. But what's great about it is he opens with a story of failure and looking at his business yeah. bank account being overdrawn and feeling like he can't face his wife. Yeah, and I, I would say like on the flip side of, of the example I, I shared, I recently read No Rules Rules, which everybody at Impact read, which is by Reed Hastings, the um, one of the founders of Netflix. And same thing, like that's a Silicon Valley company. It's, it's obviously a, a huge, huge business that's grown exponentially. But the, the whole point of the book is like, here are all these lessons that I learned the hard way. Here are all these times that I messed up and how I tried to counter counteract those those errors with Netflix and and it worked. So, so that's what I read recently, actually two books now. Um, and yeah, Liz, another episode in the books, first one in a while. I know. I can't believe it. I am so excited. I'm so glad to be back in the pod. And I guess I will talk to you next week. I know. Or something like it. All right. Bye, everybody. All right, guys. All right. Bye.